Thank you for joining me on episode 96 of the Unique on a Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, just a regular gal, trying to help people know they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. And today is another Sermon Notes edition. A few weeks ago, I spoke at Bayview Church of Traverse City, Michigan, and the church was in the middle of a Beatitudes series. Some of you have heard of it, you've read it several times, but it is the sermon that Jesus gives as his first public ministry in Matthew chapter 5. So take a listen as I dig a little deeper into the scripture, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Church ladies have taken over the service this morning. (laughs) I heard that. Well, I'm Rachel, and I know that when people see me, I am one of those people that I always look like I'm on a mission. But if we have not met, please introduce yourself to me. I really do want to meet people. But I'm Rachel. I'm on the speaking team here at Bayview, and we are continuing our Upside Down series of Beatitudes. Have you ever had this conversation, maybe with your kids, just for fun, or just thinking about it in general, what would your last meal be? Just shout it out to me. If you had an idea of what your last meal would be, what would it be? Lobster? Steak? What was that? A Big Mac. It has to be five guys, not McDonald's. I don't make the rules. I just play the game. Anybody else? Chick-fil-A. I'm a steak and potatoes, burger and fries kind of girl, but I do love carbohydrates. So I've always debated, well, not that I'm probably ever going to have to make that decision. I don't know. But I'm like, if I had my last meal, would it be pizza? I don't know. I love pancakes and cupcakes. You don't want to know my cupcake record. It would gross you out. But uh, I hope you're all hungry now. You're welcome. So I've been in that place where I'm so hungry that I get headaches. Now, those of you that forget to eat, I cannot relate to you. I have no idea what that is like. I never forget to eat. Now, I've been so busy that I haven't been able to eat, and so my my brain says, hey, Rachel, I already told you through your stomach that you have to eat. Now I'm giving you a headache because you still haven't eaten yet. And I found that if I just ate, I would be a whole lot nicer of a person. Have you ever seen that meme, I'm sorry for the things I said because I was hungry? Yeah. And all throughout scripture, you see that word hunger and thirst. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New, God is always asking us to hunger after him, to thirst after him. You see Jesus saying, hey, be salt and light. Be salty so others will thirst for me. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will be filled. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. And as we continue this upside down series on the Beatitudes, and if you are new to the faith, the Beatitudes is that first sermon that Jesus gives. In Matthew, you see his first accounts as an adult. He gets baptized by John. He fasts. He goes into the wilderness. He then begins to call his 12 disciples, develops this following, and now he is on a mountainside giving his very first sermon. And that is where we pick up in verse 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. 
for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing what is right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 11. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets who were persecuted in the same way. None of this sounds pleasant. Really, Jesus? This is what you choose as your very first sermon? Your very first public ministry, I'm somehow blessed that I'm mourning. I'm blessed that I'm poor. I'm blessed when I'm persecuted. It makes absolutely no sense. But the Beatitudes, not just back then, but even today, are very scandalous because they go against our human nature. It is very difficult, and it's a lot of work to be pure in a world that is against purity. It's a lot of work, especially for me, to be merciful and to be compassionate. It's not my natural gifting. And it is a lot of work to train your body to hunger and thirst after justice, after righteousness. And that's where we're going to camp today. Let's reread verse 6. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So my translation says, hunger and thirst for justice. What does yours say? Shout it out to me. Righteousness. Hunger and thirst for justice, for righteousness. My version also says they will be satisfied. What does yours say instead of satisfied? Was it? Filled. Simply put, when Christians pursue what is right, what is just, you will be filled, you will be satisfied. And Jesus is talking here about us as individuals. Because it's easy to say, hey, you need to do what is right. You over here need to do what is just. But Jesus says we need to look at ourselves. Are we hungering and thirsting after what is just, after what is right? And if we are, we are going to be blessed. Pastor Chris shared this at the beginning of the series, that word blessed, and I want to recap it a little bit. Blessed in the Greek word is makarios. Everybody say makarios. I know you couldn't live your whole life without knowing that, but now you do. That word in the Greek means blessed, fortunate, extension, well off, and happy. Well, happy? That doesn't make sense. I'm not happy if I'm persecuted, not happy if I'm poor, but really the word goes deeper than that. When we say that we want to be happy or we want others to be happy, we're talking about the emotions that come from our outward circumstances. But what Jesus is saying, when you are blessed, it means you are going to experience something that goes beyond happiness, and that is joy. It will be what you experience in those dark moments in life when your outward circumstances are chaotic. 
you will be blessed. You will have that joy that surpasses all understanding. And when we, in these Beatitudes, when we abide in Jesus, that's what we will find. We will find joy. When I go into third world countries, the Christians who have a lack of food and are poor and have no material items that we here in the United States have, they are the most joyful people I have ever met. Because their blessing isn't coming Their happiness isn't coming from what is the outward circumstances. It's coming from what they are experiencing in Christ. But let's go back to that verse 6. Jesus said one of the ways to be blessed is to hunger and thirst after righteousness, after justice. And when we seek that out, we'll be filled, we'll be satisfied. A couple years ago, I was looking, we created a video for work, and I was in the video, and I I looked at it and I just went, oh, wow, I've gained a whole lot of weight this year. It's okay to laugh at that, it's fine. I'm not hurt at all. But I'm watching that video going, wow, I need to, I need to make some changes. I need to do something about this. So I began, I don't know, you can call it a program, lifestyle change, whatever you want to call it, but I began to learn something about what I was feeding myself. And I, like I said earlier, I love my carbohydrates. They're so good. But what I found and what I noticed is that when I consumed carbohydrates, my stomach was full. I could eat a half of a large pizza, and I was full, but I wasn't satisfied. I I kept craving more of the pizza or whatever carbohydrates I was eating. And what I learned was that when you consume carbohydrates, your body releases a hormone called serotonin. It's that happy hormone. And let's be real, we've never seen a depressed person eating a donut, right? They may have been depressed before they ate the donut, but during and afterwards they're not depressed because that happy hormone is going through their body. But I would crave, the more I would eat the carbohydrates, the more I would crave, and the more I ate, the more calories I consumed, and the more calories I consumed, the more weight I put on. And with this lifestyle change, I still ate carbohydrates. Okay, I'm not knocking them. I'm headed to Domino's right after service, 100%. But I began to replace a lot of those carbohydrates with protein. And I noticed that when I ate a meal that was low in carbs, low in calories, but had a high protein content, not only was I filled, but I was satisfied. Because I'm one of those people, after I eat, I'm going, okay, where's the snacks? And I'm going to sit there, whatever activity I'm doing, I'm going to eat the snacks. But if I had protein, I wasn't wanting those snacks. Now, I wasn't exactly happy because I didn't have the serotonin going through my body. But the reward was greater in the long run because I had more energy. I wasn't tired all the time. And then weight began to fall off. And just like protein... We want to switch our bodies to begin to crave righteousness and holiness. As time went on, the more protein I ate, though I wasn't happy, I began to crave that protein. And the more we seek after righteousness and holiness and goodness, the more we will hunger after it. When we're bitter and we feed that bitterness we may be filled and we may be happy for a short time, but
but it will never satisfy. We will want to continue to feed that bitterness. When we're selfish, feeding that selfishness feels good for a moment. But as time goes on, we are never satisfied. And when we make that switch to generosity, we begin to be filled. We begin to be satisfied. But here's the problem. That word righteousness, for many years, I think us as Christians has had a negative connotation. We look at that, see, modern day 21st century Christians were not known for seeking after righteousness. And I think this is what I've observed. In 80s and 90s Christianity, we saw a lot of legalism and self-righteousness. And so us today are going, well, I don't want to be self-righteous. I don't want to be holier than thou. So we did everything we could to remove that label from ourselves and tried to be real, authentic people. But in an effort to not have that label, we began to bring a lot more compromise into our lives. Let me give you an example, and hopefully you still love me after this. There was an author that coined a phrase that has become very popular in Christian circles. I've seen it on Christian t-shirts and mugs and bumper stickers, and it's this. I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. You all seen that phrase? And I get the sentiment behind the phrase. Last month, my son and I, he's 10, and we were in the Sam's parking lot trying to make a left on the 31, and if you've ever tried to do that, you know it's a treat and a half. And as I pull out, I don't remember what happened, an altercation with another car, but I said a few not-so-choice words. And after we get into the lane, in about 10 seconds of awkward silence, my son in the back seat goes, I forgive you for saying all those words, Mom. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. And I apologized for my behavior, and I explained that just because I'm a Christian, just because I love Jesus, doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. But you know what? I'm working on it. And I think that's the big difference. That point of, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little, is to say, hey, look at me. I'm real. I'm authentic. I'm not legalistic. I'm not self-righteous. But the phrase also communicates, this is who I am, and I'm not willing to change. But God is asking us to strive after, after righteousness. You can be real and authentic without allowing compromise into your life. That's a possibility. And our desire should always be to strive after holiness and goodness. Not in a holier-than-thou sense, but in a, I want to be holy as God is holy. In his first book, Peter said this, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. He's quoting Leviticus right there. And what he's saying is you are called to be holy. Did you ever think about that? That God has called you to be holy, meaning you are separating yourselves from the world. You are separating yourselves from sin. Because you are his, he has called you to be holy. So do I love Jesus? Yes. Do I cuss a little? Yes. But I'm working on it. And that's the difference.
because I'm trying to strive after righteousness, holiness, and goodness, not because I want to be holier than thou and I'm better than anybody else, but because I want to be more like Jesus, because I want to lead other people to Christ, because I want to achieve the mission that he has set out for me here on this earth. And just like protein, when I strive to do what is right, I begin to crave more of Christ's righteousness. And choosing to do what is right, that's difficult. Choosing sometimes to do not, choosing to compromise or not do the right thing, it gives you an instant reward, just like that serotonin. So doing what is right will not give you anything instant, but the greater reward is to come. It'll be in the long run. So how do you hunger after righteousness? How do we begin to make that switch to protein so we can start craving that protein? Thankfully, Paul in his letter to the Romans, he lays this out beautifully. You don't have to turn there, but if you are taking notes, it's Romans chapter 12. I will have it on the screen. If we are to begin a journey to hunger after righteousness and become holy as God has holy, the first thing that we need to do is not conform to the world. Romans 2 says, or 12.2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In order to stand out, not to be holier than thou, but to be holy as God is holy, we are to not copy the things of this world and we are to renew our minds. We are to act differently, but we are to think differently as well. Because the way we think will eventually manifest outward. So when you're standing around the water cooler and the gossip, the work gossip begins to start, you have choices change the subject, or walk away. Striving after holiness may be that the most popular movie or TV show that is out right now, you choose not to watch because you don't want all of that in your mind because you're trying to renew your mind. You're trying to think differently. You're trying to act differently. Number two, use what gifts that you have been given for Jesus. Verse 4 says, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Paul then begins the, the list, the different giftings, what we call motivational giftings. Through his different letters, you'll find spiritual giftings, teaching giftings, but these giftings have to do with our personality and how they shape us and how we uh, interact with each other. And he's saying, use those in the body of Christ. Use those in your everyday lives. Put me first through it. Put God first through it. When that policeman puts on his uniform and he goes to work, sure, he works for the community, but he works for God first. When that nurse puts on her scrubs and she steps onto Munson Medical Center, yes, she works for her patients, but she works for God first. And when that mom is folding the millionth pile of laundry with all the mismatched toddler socks, she's working for God first. 
and it is a whole lot easier to do what is right and what is just when God comes first in that job. Use your gifts that God has given you for him. Number three, serve others with love, hard work, and hospitality. Verse nine, don't just pretend to love others. Well, that hurt a little bit. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready for them. Always be eager to practice humility. A great way for us to seek after righteousness, holiness, and goodness is to serve other people. Do you notice that in the past 40, 50 years, we've really had a shift on how we interact with others? It used to be we built houses with front porches and we would put rockers out and we would be inviting to the neighbors. But what do we do now when we build houses? We put back decks and closed in front, uh, fenced in backyards. What are we trying to do? We're trying to keep the neighbors out. We're trying to say, hey, I have had enough with people all day. I need isolation and I need to relax. And I get that. I completely understand. But over the time, there's been an evolution. And you see it all over social media. And the memes are hilarious. I get it. But things such as, I just like coffee and only three people. Or I can't people today. And there's so much hatred that is going on towards others that it's really poisoning us. We're feeding ourselves that poison. And when we begin to hate those or dislike those that God created, we actually go down the path of holier than thou. We go down that path of self-righteousness. Because what we're saying is, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Remember back in the day when people would stop by our house unexpectedly? You'd be all excited. Oh, somebody's at the door. And now somebody comes to your door. You're like, hide. Don't let them know we're here. Turn the lights off. It's how we've switched. It's how we've evolved. But make, make people your priority. Get involved with community meals. Kids ministry, youth ministry. Tip your waitress at extra 20% who obviously is having a rough day. Move your fire pit from the backyard to the front yard, whatever it is. What is it that God's asking you to do to serve other people? And number four, practice humility. Verse 16, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. And do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. The saying goes, humility is not thinking of yourself, or thinking less about yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. But if we practice humility, we never have to worry about looking self-righteous to other people. And if they do see us as self-righteous, we'll be so busy serving other people, it won't matter. We won't care. Holier than thou says, it is about me 
It is about my righteousness. But holy as God is holy says it is about other people. It is about humility. It is about Jesus' righteousness. And it's humble because we know that our righteousness, our holiness compared to Christ is nothing but filthy rags. But we do it anyway because we know we're on a mission. We know he has a plan for us and we want to see more people come to Christ. I'll end with this. If you say today, you know what, I do. I want to be more like Christ. I don't want to be holier than thou. I don't want to think of myself as better than anybody else. But I do want to be holy as God is holy. Be prepared for isolation. Be prepared for some loneliness. Because there are a lot of unbelievers that don't necessarily want to be around someone who is seeking after righteousness. Not always, but some. And there are even some Christians that don't want to be around someone. They're comfortable where they are. They don't necessarily want to be with someone who is striving for holiness. Be prepared for that. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. The story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman is probably one of the most popular sermons preached on Sunday morning. One of the most popular interactions between someone and Jesus. Jesus and his disciples, they were having a, quite a bit of success in Judea. And they said, hey, let's head on up now to Galilee. And on their way to Galilee, they go through Samaria. And as they're trekking through, Jesus gets tired and he stops at a well. And that is where we pick up in verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? Do you, do, who gave us this well? And how do you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And she's excited. You mean, really, I wouldn't have to come to this well anymore to get water? You would give me the water? And through their conversation, we learn that the Samaritan woman, she's been married five times. She's living with a man who's not her husband. And she goes to the well at this time to avoid other women to avoid townspeople. And many people will argue her past. Was she divorced five times? Was it that she's widowed five times? Is it a mixture of both? Was she promiscuous? But that's not the point. Her past is not the point of this story. The point is that she was thirsty. The Samaritan woman was thirsty, broken, 
and in need of healing. We're all thirsty for something. We're all hungry for something. The question is, where is our hunger going? Where is our thirst going? She had been living her own self-righteous life for so long. She had been drawing her own water. But Jesus said, if you drink my water, you won't thirst again. And it's not that she would never thirst again. It's that she would now thirst for him. Instead of thirsting after her own self-righteousness, after her own bitterness, after her own unforgiveness, or whatever was stuck in her past, she would now find healing and she would thirst after him. She goes into town and she tells everybody, come and meet the man who told me everything I have ever done. And the townspeople come. Jesus stays for a few days and many people come to Christ. But what scripture doesn't tell us is that this woman's story goes beyond chapter, John chapter 4. Ancient writings and biblical scholars found that this woman has a name. And if you grew up in the Catholic Church, you probably know her story. And her name is Futina. And it means enlightened one. Futina led her five sisters to the Lord and her two sons. Her one son worked for the Roman army and the other son went with her and the sisters to Africa to be missionaries, to be evangelists. And the emperor at the time, Nero, and if you know anything about Emperor Nero, he was horrific to Christians and did everything he could to martyr them in the most terrible of ways. He got wind of what Futina and her family were doing in Africa. And instead of Futina turning away and isolating herself and saving herself, she says, I want, I want an audience with him. And her and the family, they went to Rome and she shared Jesus with the emperor Nero. Nero didn't get saved. He didn't come to Christ, but his daughter did. And that made him mad. And he did everything he could to martyr this family, but it wasn't working. He finally put them in prison, but even in prison, they were sharing Jesus and they were leading other people to Christ. They were having church. And the one son who was not with them in Africa, who was the Roman soldier, he was approached by one of his main officers and said, hey, listen, I get that you're a Christian and all, but woe is going to come to you if you don't like keep this a secret. If you tell us all the people that are Christians that you know of, you can get their wealth. And he said, no, I want, I want to share Jesus just like my brother, just like my mom, just like my aunts. He said, okay, you're going to pay the price. And they did. They were all martyred except for Futina. Biblical scholars have not been able to pinpoint exactly how she died. But what they believe happened was that she was placed at the bottom of a dry well and died. So her story began with a well and ends with a well. Are you going to be a martyr for Christ? Probably not. But the point of this story is that when we begin to hunger after the things of Jesus, he's going to take us to places we never expected. He's going to put us in front of audiences we never expected. He's going to give us people to share with that we never expected. And when we
we begin to lay down the things of this world, our bitterness, our unforgiveness, our sexual impurities, and begin to hunger after righteousness, we will then be filled and satisfied with peace and forgiveness. And it's not going to be easy. It is going to be difficult because it goes against our very nature. But just like protein, when we make that switch, we will then be able to crave what is not easy. We will then be able to crave the things of the Lord. If everyone can go ahead and stand. I can have every head bowed. I, I, I don't want to leave a message without asking. If there is someone in here who you would say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've you had one at one point and you've stepped away or maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home. You've never heard of Jesus. This is your first time. But if you say, I would like to begin a relationship with Jesus and to strive for what is holy and what is righteous, would you raise your hand if that is you? I see that hand. Thank you. For the rest of us, if there's something that the Lord is laying on your heart where you say, this is something in my life that I know that I need to put down. It is a compromise in my life. But I want to be holy as God is holy, and I know it is something that I need to lay down. Nobody else is looking, but I want you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. If that is you. Okay. Father, you see the hands in this room. You see the people that say, yes, you're pointing out to me something, Lord. You're showing me something that I need to lay down. And I pray, God, that you would give them that strength to lay those compromises aside so they can be holy as you are holy. I pray, God, that as they go throughout this week, that when temptation comes, that you would give them that strength to push it away, to run as fast as they can from it. And Lord, that you would fill them, you would give them that peace. Lord, if it's, if it's bitterness, if it's unforgiveness, I pray, God, that you would help them in that area so they can be filled with your peace. I just keep feeling bitterness. that word bitterness. So I, I just want to pray over that. God, if there are people in here that are really struggling in that area of bitterness and unforgiveness, God, that is a process. That is not something that you can just say, Lord, take it, and it goes. And maybe for some people it does, but it's not all of us. So God, whoever is struggling with that here, I pray for help. You said that you would rescue us in our time of need. It is all throughout the book of Psalms. And I ask that you would help us in that, in Jesus' name. Lord, if there is somebody in our lives that we have not forgiven, I pray that you would give us that strength to forgive. You would give us that strength to pray for them. You would give us that strength to not speak ill words of them, but to close our mouths when they need to be closed. Let's just take this time 
and worship. Thank you for listening to today's Sermon Notes episode of the Unique on a Purpose podcast. If you are interested in me sharing at your church, conference, retreat, or camp, you can visit me at my website, rachelgenneman.com. Unique on Purpose is available on iTunes as well as Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. So don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I will see you right back here next time.